Welcome to the All About Setwork podcast. In this podcast, we talk about all things setwork. That can include training tips, a behind the scenes look at what your instructor or trial official may be going through, and much more. In this episode, we're going to be having a very frank discussion about trialing and trying to evaluate why people trial and put this whole into perspective given the coronavirus outbreak that this episode is being recorded during. Before we start diving into the podcast episode itself, let me just do a very quick introduction of myself. My name is Diana Santos, and I'm the owner and lead instructor for Setwork University, Dog Sport University, Family Dog University, and Canine Fitness University. These are online dog training platforms that are designed to provide high quality dog training instruction to as many people as possible. And we're very fortunate to have a client base that's quite literally worldwide. For Setwork University in particular, we provide online training that is totally focused on Setwork. That means we can help you from the very beginning of your setwork journey all the way through to developing some more advanced skills and even getting ready for trial. We do this by providing online courses, webinars, and seminars that are all designed to help you in your setwork training journey. In addition to that, we also offer a regularly updated blog as well as podcasts as you are listening to today. So to know a little bit more about me, let's dive into the podcast episode where we have a discussion with Michael McManus. All right, so now we're going to be talking about a potentially hot button, touchy top topic <laughs> of trying to figure out or discuss debate about trialing as far as why it is that people trial, really digging into the source of people trialing and whether or not we can potentially change viewpoints. And this is particularly bubbling up because we're recording this during the coronavirus mm debacle. Um, so let me just hear from you as far as your opinion. What is, in your opinion, the reason why people want to trial, generally speaking? Yeah. And this is somewhat tainted, and I probably should say this, because preface this with my own personality. I am one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet. Uh, if it can be turned into a competition, it will be turned into a competition. You know, uh, if, you know, if just cleaning the room, I would be one of the suckers who falls for the paint my fence. If you, all he have to do is say, I bet I could paint half the fence faster than you can. And then I'd finish painting all the fence before him. Right. Um, so I'm very competitive. People compete in dog sports for a variety of reasons. One of them is because they're competitive and ambitious and they like doing things like that. Another is community and spending time with people and uh, that you don't always get to do. And especially if you're a dog person, sometimes our social lives can be quite limited uh, by the fact that we own dogs and getting together with other dog people helps. Another reason is because um, we put in a lot of time and effort with our dogs and we want to be able to show that off. We want to spend a fun day with our dog. I think sometimes we can kind of distract ourselves though, because uh, for some dogs who are stressed by a trial environment, uh, you could have a lot of fun doing nose work in a non-trial environment, but it's more fun for the human. That's why we keep putting them in those situations over and over again. But I think what it comes down to is competition and being competitive. Otherwise, what's the point? You could do workshops and fun days. I agree with all of those. So now let's talk about how it is that we can then square that circle mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> from the human perspective yeah. to the dog. Because I think that there are a lot of dogs right now who are being put in situations where they're being asked to trial, where it is wholly unfair to the dog. Yeah. So can you talk about that? So from the dog's mm -hmm. perspective, what do you think the dogs think about 
as far as trialing. And you can talk yeah. about the whole range of different dogs. Yeah. So um, I think dogs from a, from just like a baseline, let's talk about a neutral dog. Um, neutral dogs like going and exploring new places. They like spending time with their pack members, right? I guess that's a term that we may or may not be allowed to use these days, but they like spending time with their family. And so on that, so far, trial sounds good, right? And uh, I would even go so far as to say, I, I believe that forming relationships, that you need two things. One thing is very, very much championed by, for me, by Sue Sternberg, which is uh, experiences of joy, right? We go out and we have fun together. That's important. But I think the other half of that is shared experiences of stress and trauma. That, And this I get from... Dr. Roger Brandis, who you know is absolutely amazing and been a role model for me as well. And this is the idea that you take two people who hate each other and put them on a boat in the middle of a storm, and they will be lifelong friends at the end of that event. That these lifelong of uh, these traumatic events actually bond people together, sometimes even stronger than just you know just going out to a meal with a friend. You know that's a fun experience and will develop a bond over a meal. That's for sure, but not the same bond as we will surviving coronavirus together, right? Um, so the I actually think the stressful component of trials is a positive and a negative, depending on how it ends up playing itself out, because you can't always guess the way it's going to play out. But for my dogs, for the most part, it's bonded us closer together than just have going to a fun day would have. Um, the other thing is dogs are predators. And they're they're alive. And so they also are somewhat competitive. I don't think they care about ribbons. But when you, they feel like you're competing, I think they also get that same adrenaline rush. And it might be quite exciting for them. Not dissimilar to the excitement of going on a hunt and feeling that competition against your prey. Um, that said, it's a very stressful experience. Uh, that's why a lot of people, the majority of people I know, don't actually compete in sports for their upwardly mobile career, right? Only one person gets that promotion. And a lot of people just don't even go for it. Uh, I think being competitive is a very small subset of personality types. And I think that goes for dogs too. The majority of dogs, that stress is just not for them. And if you're not emotionally prepared to accept your dog for who they are, that can be very difficult. You might want to try to squeeze that dog into a competitive uh, box that doesn't they don't fit in. And I think it's it's very very bad situation. I've seen it often, and it's very upsetting for everyone watching. People try to do this with the dog, and it's it's not good for the dog or the handler. So, as far as the situation that everyone is faced with now, where trials are being canceled across the country, across the world, you know, people mm -hmm. are having to self quarantine and whatnot. And there's a lot of stress, I think, across the spectrum. I mean, you have trial officials. This is their livelihood. You have clubs that are concerned mm -hmm. about closing. And you also have competitors who may be out of their entry fees. But, but when you separate money from it, I feel as though there is this outcry of not just disappointment. There's an actual like ripping out of the heart sort of thing with people where they're not going to be able to compete. Yeah. And something that a completely not dog person, my husband happened to say in passing, he's like, I wonder if the sport's going to survive this. Hmm. And that really stuck me for a minute because when you're talking about nose work, it has exploded in popularity, obviously. I mean, it was very popular with NCSW was the only game in town, but now the AKC is in it. It's obviously exploded even more. 
But the one thing that I've always found to be true is that people will do what they are rewarded for. And the incentive of trial definitely has allowed more people to play. But now that there is more trialing opportunities, people aren't training as much. They're just trialing. Yeah. So the one thing I would love to hear your opinion on is where do you think that this is going to go? Are people going to not play the game with their dogs because they can't potentially get the pretty ribbons and titles? Are they still going to be playing the game with their dogs? And where do you think the sport is going to be in six months? Okay, so mm, that's a, this is a really powerful question. And I think I'll start with the most controversial part, which is this, that I'm worried that dog sports in general aren't going to su- uh, survive the technological change. And what I mean by that is, as you can do everything from home, and film it. And I'm not against online venues. I think that's great. I think it's a wonderful thing. But I think people might stop going out to public with their dogs altogether. Um, I'm worried about that. I'm already seeing that in the pet world. Just walking down the street, I see a lot fewer dogs out on the street than I used to. Um, I'm worried about that. I think in terms of the sport itself surviving, I have no doubt that it survives. Because any time you stick someone like me with someone like me in a room together with two dogs, we're going to find some way to compete. And if it's whose dog has the better nose, that's what's going to be. If it's who dog can sit faster, that's what's going to be right. So I have no doubt that the uh, at the power of human ambition and competitiveness, we will definitely keep having dog sports. That I think if anything, this may strengthen, I think some people may rediscover the joy of training and go, you know, all this break from trialing has really showed me how much I love training nose work. I've had so many students after I've either had to tell them to take a break from trialing or who for one reason or another couldn't trial for a lot, maybe health reasons or other reasons, um, come back and tell me, I forgot how much I liked nose work. It's actually really fun. And I'd forgotten that by competing. So some people may rediscover their love for nose work and then come back with dogs who've had a couple months of training without trialing, come back even better and re- like, oh, wow, not only was it more fun, my dog's actually better at competing than they were before. And I hope that that's true. <laughs> yes. I hope I hope that people do really start to appreciate the training more because quite honestly, I think that the increase in trialing opportunities was pushing people to trial and then just not train and to Mm -hmm. try to supplement their trialing for training. And those are two completely different things. So if there is any silver lining to all of this, I hope that is it. Yeah. As far as how do you plan as an instructor to help your super uber competitive clients who are basically going through withdrawal (laughs) Mm. how do you plan to help them get through this period? Because I am not, I'm the complete polar opposite to you. I could Mm. give two shits about competition. I (laughs) don't, I doesn't, it don't relate to it. I don't care. It's, I, I just, it's not my thing. Mm. Um, so when I have super uber competitive clients, I'm like, "Eh, I'll try to help you, but it's probably not the best fit. How are you going to help those people? Because they're the ones who are saying, well, I needed to go across the country five different times to get my whatever. And Mm -hmm. I need that for my (laughs) self-worth. 
Like it's not right. just simply because I need to, you know, hmm. prove my training. It's actually intertwined with how they feel as a human being. Yes. How are you going to help those clients? Mm, that's a really good question. I think I actually don't have as many of those clients as you might think. I think because the idea of competition for competition's sake is actually disgusting to me in a lot of ways. I think that's where you get into, uh, well, maybe if I used an e-collar, I could fix my problem. That's where you start going down that 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 path of really dangerous uh, for me. Um, I actually think that a competition on a whole with animals, you know, like by itself is a bad thing because well, even despite all the praise I've given it all up to now, if, if it's just about the competition and then it's not about the relationship anymore, it's not about the dog, it's not about even developing skill, right? Then we get people cheating, right? Which we have this happening now. Um, so I think the people who tend to train with me who are really, really competitive, uh, there have to be some underlying ground rules, which is one, that it's not really a win unless you actually earned it. It, it, as in you actually put in the time to develop the skills. It wasn't a fluke. It, you you put in the training time, you honed your relationship, you honed your communication skill, you refused to cheat or take any advantage wherever they were presented. Even if you were given an advantage, you would refuse it because you want to win on, on, on your own two feet. And the second thing is that dogs who do well in competition tend to be happy dogs who are enjoying what they're doing. Um, and so that enjoyment of enjoying what you're doing means that you can have just as much fun training as competing. Um, so when a trial comes up and it's there to actually stand as a as a uh, test of how your relationship and your training has been going, as opposed to the goal, it's actually, the goal is to train the best dog and the trial is just the test to see if you're on the right path. Uh, that is my emphasis in my training. And if you don't have that same emphasis, we're going to be sitting down and having hearts to hearts for a long time about what's important in life. You know, it's like a philosophical debate. And that's exactly where I try to come from. Yeah. <laughs> it's so I've had some people over the years, not many, luckily, but a few who were just absolutely devastated when things didn't go well. I mean, not mm. just your typical, oh, we didn't cue, but now right. like I am not going to be able to face the world kind of thing. Yeah. So those are the types of people that I'm worried during this time of upheaval, what they're going to do. And so what I would love to hear from you is what kind of changes could we do as a community to help better portray what trialing should be, mm. what maybe instructors can do to better prepare their students, what mm. dog owners can think about when they may be trying to embark on trialing. What yeah. should we mentally be preparing ourselves for before we do any of these things? Sure. And I think that that's a really good point about how you feel when you don't do a good job, when you come home without the title or, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's the keystone, like that's one of the big things about my type of competing and the way I want my students to compete is that the, the trial that you fail should be the most invigorating experience. It's to me, it's like having a conversation with someone where someone proves you wrong. That to me, that's not a devastating experience. That's like opened up a whole new world for me. Like I want to know 
when I'm wrong. Because it's not like they made me wrong. I was always wrong up to that point. They showed me how it was wrong. And so it's the same. I, I found some flaw in my training that now I get to go home. I have the privilege to go home and trying to solve. And that's, that is the most exciting part of competition to me is actually the failure. Um, that said, on the other side, in terms of being devastated, I've had trials where I was absolutely devastated by it. And I've had two different ex- uh, types of experience in that category. One is where I'm devastated because we didn't show what we were truly capable of, that these were problems we'd trained for. These were things that we knew how to solve. And usually by my own uh, arrogance or uh, or micromanagement, I don't allow my dog to do their job properly. And then I've, I've been devastated by those moments. And the hard part is to, the dog doesn't understand that. So I can't let the dog think I'm mad at them. So I have to put on a good face and be devastated away from them, right? So I got to hold that in and just like, I, okay, that was really bad on my part. And dogs don't understand if I say, I'm sorry, dog, even though sometimes I actually say, I'm sorry, dog. They don't really understand that. And so you have to just actually work on yourself to be better. And then the other devastation I've had was when I allowed myself to get that bad kind of competitive, um, this happened in particular with the first ever nationals, NACSW nationals, when I was trying to qualify, where I had two or three of the worst NW3s I'd ever done. And they were just just miserable, bad experiences. And I was devastated that I didn't get into the nationals. But um, I was also similar to the first type. I was devastated that I allowed the my competitiveness to undermine my relationship with my dog, which then manifested itself in poor performances in trial. So the actual competition showed me something about my relationship with my dog that I didn't know before that I could then go home and fix. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I think it's helpful for people to hear that the, at least from where I'm sitting, it appears as though these are the types of things that everyone goes through at some point. And if you claim that you don't, you're lying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's, this is where being a human is very complicated because yep. you have all the emotional baggage. You do have all of the, the understanding, the higher level understanding of what's going on around you. Whereas the dog is just playing the game mm-hmm. and then trying to connect those two things when things don't go well, particularly when it's on your shoulders and reason why it didn't go well, the dog did great mm-hmm. or they would have done great if you just got out of their way or if you weren't stuck in your head, that's very, very hard to deal with. And then when you also have for myself, the added pressure of being an instructor, worrying Mm. about professional standing, I can't even imagine for yourself being someone who is so involved with NACSW, being an instructor at Canine Nosework Camp, being a CEO. Okay, great. I'm going to be able to qualify for the first ever nationals. I'd better get in. (laughs) I better qualify. And I personally would just crumble under that kind of pressure. I hate it. It, I can't stand it. But that is something that I think that as instructors, or just as a community as a whole, we need to do a better job of talking about that stuff openly and explaining to our clients and students that they very well may 
encounter a similar experience and then how they can deal with it. So you shared about this thing that you went through. How did you then use that information to get through it to the other side so that you weren't poisoning your trialing experiences going forward? Yeah. And so I'm going to say a couple things that, uh, may sound a bit harsh, but they're not meant that way at all. They're meant in the most loving, you know, helping, trying to help other instructors as, as I can. So I've heard from a lot of people this fear of competing uh, because of what other instructors or their own students will think. And I think that's tragic. It shouldn't, you shouldn't let those kinds of things get in the way of your enjoyment of your dog. Even, even on a base level, like I've known people who are hor- like, they're not able to enjoy their dog as puppy because they're afraid they're not meeting certain deadlines. My, my puppy hasn't learned this and that and other trainers, puppies are doing this. It's like, man, this is your puppy. Enjoy it. It's like, you don't get this for very long. Um, so, so I get that. And there are some coping things you can do. Like for example, don't compete in your local region so that you're not there with students who may come up to you. Even if you're not as nervous, they may be coming up with their questions about how to handle this and how to handle that. And that may be something you're not able to deal with when you're competing. You have to understand when you're at a competition as a competitor, you are there as a competitor, not as an instructor. Um, and, and if you're fine with giving out advice, that's fine, but you also have to respect your own yourself and your own process. Um, the other thing is, if you're afraid of failing in front of people, it's because you haven't failed enough. It's like, if you haven't failed that many times, then maybe you should take a break from teaching and just focus on becoming a competitor first. Just go out there and fail a bunch. Like maybe one of the reasons that I'm not worried about what my students are going to feel, uh, think about me when I compete is because I've just failed so much. It's like, I, I can help my students through every possible failure. Cause I've done it myself personally. Um, I know how to work through that problem because I had that problem, you know, five years ago. So don't worry, I got your back on this one. And when I fail in the future, I'm looking forward of developing new tools to help my students when they have the same problem. Um, That to me is uh, like, I guess, I guess how I mentally cope with it. Um, You know, every dog is a, is a unique scenario. It's not a, algorithm that if you just plug these variables in, you come up with the right solution. And so, you know, my new puppy catfish, he's been training nose work for a while now, and we're thinking about putting him on odor. Uh, When I go to compete with him, it's going to be starting from scratch. And I don't know what that's going to be like, and we're going to fail a bunch. And I'm going to learn how to work a dog that's so different from any other dog I've ever worked before. And I'm actually looking forward to it. It's actually kind of an exhilarating experience for me. And I may even have people come up to me and say like, oh man, you got an elite on those other dogs, but you can't get an NW1 or an ORT on this dog. It's like, hey, look, he's a different dog. It's like, I I don't even know. I wouldn't even let that affect me. Um, but I can understand for some people who wouldn't be able to shrug something off that as easily as that. I think, I think again, what I rely on is the amount of failure I've done. And also the fact that I'm I'm in it for a much more long-term goal than this ribbon. This ribbon is one little blip on my path to having this awesome nosework team. And that doesn't happen in a trial in a month, in a year. It happens in several years. Perfect. So to try to wrap all this up, what do you want to let people know during this unsettling time? <laughs> 
<laughs> as their their trialing opportunities are dwindling. What is it that you want them to think about? What is it that you want them to consider, maybe reevaluate? Is there anything in particular that you want them to really sit down and really zero in on while they have potentially months where they're not going to be able to compete before they go into it? Or if you had someone who was maybe thinking about competing, but then all this happens, so they're not going to be able to do it for a while. Is there something in particular yeah. for people who are doing stunt work or nose work that you think that this would be a good thing for them to think about, ponder, and or do? Yeah, so this may seem uh, cliche or morbid, I, but I'm a stoic, um, philosophically speaking. And so the idea of meditating on death is a very common uh, theme in Stoicism and understanding um, the gravity of different scenarios in your life. And so I think in this time, it, it, or in any time, but in this time in particular, when it's easier to think about that stuff, it's like, what are you really going to miss out? What are you going to miss if, if it all ended tomorrow? Are you going to be missing the ribbons? Or are you going to be missing the time spent with your dog, the time spent developing your relationship? Are you going to regret um, not being able to compete for a week? Are you going to regret all the wasted time stressing you and your dog out instead of enjoying each other's company? Um, and then go out and have some fun training and develop skill. So that, you know, like it, it's, it should be a real rejuvenating and positive experience, not just this somber moment. It's like, it should give you life to think about in those terms. Um, I know if, if things get really shut down and I'm canceling classes, I'm going to be looking forward to spending some quality time with my dogs, developing skills that we've been putting off and, um, uh, and seeing how we can develop and really make use of that time. Go back to your foundation, relayer everything on, see if you can, you can, you know, come away with it way stronger than you were before and ready to go back out there and compete in a better, in a better way. So we want to thank Michael for having this discussion with us. It's important for all of us to keep in mind why it is that we're trialing, the benefits that it may account for ourselves or our dogs or otherwise, and that we're going through this whole upheaval within the world right now as clear-headed as we can, and that we are trying to figure out ways that we can still enjoy our dogs and still enjoy all of the time that we spend with them. Hope you found this podcast helpful. Happy training, and we look forward to seeing you soon.